So we continue our sermon series um, about blessed um, to be a blessing and being the very best you. So we're going to be focused once again on that. This is a three-part series. And so uh, we've been talking about um, the fruit of the Spirit. And so we, we had a chance this last week to talk a little bit about um, love and joy and peace. And so this week we have the opportunity to think about patience, kindness, and goodness. It's just the um, praise team just shared just a few minutes ago. So let me begin um, with this piece of scripture that comes from Ephesians. And so we're going to bring this full circle. But I love this imagery about light and darkness. And so hear these words as we start with Apostle Paul's um, uh, teaching to the Ephesians. He says, in the past you were full of darkness, but now you are full of light in the Lord. So live like children who belong to the light. This light produces every kind of goodness, right living, and truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. So let me just give you a quick review. Um, you know, uh, last week we talked a little bit about love. And so we talked a little bit about, uh, um, you know, love has to do with agape love, which is um, unconditional love. So we, I gave you that Greek word and, you know, sacrificial love is when we think about that. When Paul talks about love is patient and kind, we're going to talk a bit about that in just a few minutes. And we, a lot of times we use that imagery in 1 Corinthians 13, we talk about weddings. And he really is talking about this kind of sacrificial type of love, putting other people first. And so, and of course, when we look at God's unconditional love and the love found in Jesus Christ on the cross, that's unconditional love. That's agape love. Then we talked a little bit about the idea of once again about love, but we also talked about joy. And so the word joy in the Greek literally has to do with kara, which has to do with making a choice and choosing to have joy in your life, even in the midst of your circumstances. So you could be going through some kind of calamity, some kind of heartbreak, some kind of discomfort in your life, some kind of crisis, and yet what Paul's talking about, referring to this kind of joy that reaches down the deep of your core, your heart, and being able to come, and it's making that choice. And the word there in the Greek, not only the word care, we get the word keras, and keras has everything to do with grace as well. And that we find the grace of God's unconditional love in our lives. That even though when we think about the definition of grace, is it's unmerited favor. That God continues to love us unconditionally, provides for us in an unconditional way. Even though we don't deserve it. Even though we can't earn it. Yet God continues to extend his, un, uh, his unconditional love towards us. His, his grace. And so we find that word that's connected to the word joy. But the also word, charis, is the word, as I shared with you all last week, has everything to do with the word being grateful. And the word Eucharist, you find the word caress in the middle of Eucharist, which when, the, when Jesus blessed the bread, he broke the bread, he gave the bread. He, and so there's the idea of being grateful for what we have. And then we have the word when we think about, uh, you know, we have joy and we have, and we have love. And then we also have the word peace. And the Greek word there for peace has everything to do with, and I love this definition. It has to do with, it means to join things together. When Paul talks about having peace, he talked about this in Philippians. He says, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so there's this deeper definition. We think about these three key words about joy and about love and about peace that, that ultimately the peace that is joined with Christ. And that's what Paul's referring to. 
So we have those first three words. All right, so this week, um, I, once again, um, I, I've been watching the Olympics with Donna, and so we love watching the Olympics. And so one of the greatest, I think one of the greatest stories that we find out of the Olympics this year is a story by, about a girl by the name, a young woman, her name, her name is Erin Jackson. Matter of fact, here's a picture of Erin Jackson. As a matter of fact, guess what? Uh, she lives right down the road in Ocala, Florida. She won a gold medal the other night at 500 meters, isn't that amazing? I think she's the first African-American speed skater woman to ever win a gold medal, which is just amazing. And so I don't know if you all heard about the story, but her best friend, her name is uh, uh, Brittany Bo, and um, also here's a picture of her and Brittany, their teammates. And so um, what was rather intriguing about this whole story that how it unfolded this week is that Erin, um, uh, had, had, she was the best 500 speed skater in America. And so when she went to the trials, the Olympic trials for America, she actually slipped. And so her time was not the best. And so um, Brittany's time was the best. So Brittany went to her, her, her teammate and said, you know what, I'm not gonna skate. Um, I'm not gonna do the 500 meters. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you skate in, in my place. And then she had, she, uh, Beth, uh, Brittany was actually gonna, she skated the other day and she won a bronze medal in the 1,000 meters. And I think she, once again, skates again tonight. And so both of them have won a, a medal, which is just amazing. Which was, a, to me, it was just a, a, a real true testimony. And the theme of this, of this whole sermon series, is it's not only about the fruit of the Spirit, it's about being blessed to be a blessing to other people. And so um, Brittany said, hey, listen, you know what? You're a better skater than me. I want you to represent our country. You're my friend. I love you. Um, I'll pass so you can skate. Now, here's a twist of fate. Maybe you all don't realize this, but when, they all, when it came to the end, they both got to skate anyway. Uh, even though that Brittany didn't win, her, uh, Aaron actually ended up winning the race, but I think uh, Brittany, uh, there was some kind of twist of fate because there, there was somebody that dropped out or something, some, somehow they both got to skate. Which just reminds it, it's amazing when you just do the right thing. How God, you know, once again, what goes around comes around in life. As I was a great testimony about, well, and as, I, I thought this was a great quote um, from um, Aaron who said this. She says, I'm incredibly grateful and humbled by the kindness of Brittany in helping me to secure a chance, as she wrote this before she won the gold medal, a chance at reaching my goals. She's an amazing friend, teammate, and mentor, and this is an act I'll never forget. I bet she'll never forget that. She won a gold medal. And then I, I thought to myself, this is just an amazing story. And I thought, once again, let me bring this back to scripture that Jesus shared. And I talked about this last week about blessed to be a blessing. This is Jesus's interpretation or twist about being a blessed to be a blessing to other people. It says, give to others and you will receive. You will be given much. It will be poured into your hands more than you can ever hold. You'll be given so much that it will spill into your lap. The way you give to others is the way God will give to you. Wow. And then one of the other things I thought was very interesting when they interviewed them this last week, and you can go online and look at the interviews, it's, this is a, I think it's one of the greatest stories in the Olympics this year, is that um, when Brittany was talking about foregoing this opportunity, to, at the time she didn't know she was gonna skate, um, but she said this, she said, 
the goal of the Olympic movement, and she talked about the Olympic spirit. And so I looked up the, the definition of Olympic spirit this week, and this is the Olympic spirit definition. The goal of the Olympic movement is to contribute to building a peaceful and better world by educating youth to sport practice without discrimination of any kind. And the Olympic spirit, which requires mutual understanding with the spirit of friendship and solidarity and fair play. That's the spirit of the Olympics. And sometimes we see that, and sometimes we don't. I thought this is really interesting as I actually looked this up this last week and I thought, okay, and they talk about the core values of the Olympics. And so, I don't know if you realize this, but the core, there's actually core values to the Olympics. And here are the three core values of the Olympics, excellence, friendship, and respect. Those are the core values of the Olympics. So then I started thinking about, okay, I'm preaching this sermon series on the fruit of the spirit. And I thought, you know what? Paul's talking about the core values of our life. He talks about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And I thought, well, there you go. Those are the core values. Because once again, I shared with you all last week, when you think about these things, that, these nine things that Paul laid out for us, these are the qualities, these are the core values that we find in Jesus Christ over and over and over again. Matter of fact, I think we have these up on the screen. Can we put those core? So let's say these together. The participation part of the sermon, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things like this. Galatians 5. And so um, I love that. Because, you know, we got core values, we have core values here in the life of our church, we got core values they have in the Olympics about, you know, excellence and friendship and respect, but they're like, well, there you go, Paul laid out our core values, and we're supposed to follow Jesus, because Jesus exemplified all these nine things, right? Jesus gave us the core values to follow. This last week, um, I was thinking about, you know, the theme is through the Spirit, and so I'm... I go to work every single day when I come into the church. And so um, my neighbors have this like orange tree that's just kind of a rogue. I have no idea how this orange tree got there, but it's it's like in the buffer between the road out, the main road where we live, and then um, and then they have a piece of property. And it's like in the little buffer area in the easement. And there's this kind of just one orange tree that's just sitting there. And so um, what's interesting is the, the fruit on this tree are just amazing. Matter of fact, I, I brought some here with me tonight and so it's for example and so these 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 are the fruit that actually came from my neighbor's um orange tree sort of it's sort of on their property don't tell them I actually took them but anyway and so um and so I, I went over the day and I, I picked these up so uh, what's interesting about these oranges is that it's just beautiful matter of fact I, I cleaned them all up and even in the midst of this freeze I I went over and and they're just beautiful matter of fact they they smell perfect they they look like there's the perfect oranges um they're just uh, they're juicy, they're just amazing. But there's only one problem with them. They taste like sour lemon. That is one bitter, bitter, bitter sour orange. Now, listen, here's the interesting thing. Now, I would love to pass it. If you want to pass a piece, I'd be happy you want to try my orange. But just take my word for it. They smell good. They look great. They've got everything going for them. But they are extremely, extremely bitter. What's amazing, I strategically brought water up here because I knew I was going to do this in my sermon day. But I went to, well, I went to Publix and this uh, last night and I went and bought these oranges and I got these off the shelf. And what's amazing about these oranges is 
They smell good, they look good, and they taste really good. <laughs> Big difference. Between, and what's interesting, if I was to hand you these, you couldn't tell any difference. They look exactly the same. But what's different is, is what's going on inside of them. And I think that's exactly what Paul's trying to get at. He's talking about these core values that we're exemplifying in our lives. And so we could look really, really good on the outside. What Paul is getting at, hey, what in the world is really going on in inside of your heart and your soul? And Paul gives these love and joy and peace and kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, you know, self-control, they're all there. This last week I was thinking about um, when I was a kid growing up, uh, my mother... Um, uh, was a seamstress. She was a home economics teacher. <clears throat> and um, and she, she loved to sew. And so um, we didn't have a whole lot of money. My daddy was basically on minimum salary. And, you know, back in the 1960s and 70s. Um, my, my, matter of fact, I got a picture. This is the throwback picture. But I'm going to show it to you. This is a picture of me when I was 10 years old. And I know I was really cute. That's what my mother, at least that's what my mother said. And so uh, this is me at 10. And so with, the reason why I show you that picture is that shirt I'm wearing? My mother made it. She made all my clothes. And so, you know, okay, that was pretty good through elementary school, but when you get to junior high school, it's just really not cool for your mother to make your clothes. I'll just tell you that straight up, right? But it was good. And what's interesting about my mother making those clothes, I remember as a kid going to Joanne Fabrics or Fabric King and and I hated going there because as a kid, I was like, I just knew, I'm hanging out at a fabric store is not my you know, gig. And so we would go, my mother would drag us down there and she would go and she would go pull the pattern. And then you know, she would go home and she'd get her sewing machine out. And what's interesting, you know, it's, you really need a pattern to be able to actually put together a dress or a shirt or a skirt or something like that. Because if you don't have a pattern, then it's gonna end up being a mess. And so what I think what Paul's getting at here tonight is when you think about these qualities, these core values that Paul lays out for us about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, they are really ultimately the pattern in which Paul says we're supposed to live and conduct our lives. And if we don't follow the pattern, then ultimately it's just gonna be a mess. So let me just teach for a second. And I, I love this because so we think about these words and so the, the key words here when we think about uh, patience and kindness and goodness. So the, let me just think about the word patience real quick. And so the word, and pati the word patience in the Greek, and this tells us a whole lot. And um, the, the Greek word there actually comes from two different words, um, makros and thumos. And makros, which means long, and thumus, which means suffering or passion or anger. So when you think about the word patience, and when Paul is referring to this word patience, he's ultimately teaching us a lesson because it's long. In other words, we're long on passion, or we're long on goodness, or we're long on suffering, we're long on pain. But he also says we're all long on anger. So in other words, what he's teaching us is that when we think about our relationship with each other, that, that we shouldn't have like a quick little fuse, that we should, we should be thinking about, we should not be impatient with each other. And we, when the ultimate translation, the word patience there is to be long on your anger. Uh, don't be quick to react before you actually react. Does anybody know how anybody has a short fuse? 
right? And so this is exactly what Paul's talking about. He says, listen, don't have a quick fuse. Now, I thought about this definition and I, I, this week because it has everything to do, once again, what has to do with long on patience, long on suffering, long on passion, long on endurance. And so I mean, let me show you this one little commercial because when I watched it, this, is, this definition came to my mind. This is, the, I told, I'll, I'll tell you where, I, actually, Donna saw the commercial first after she saw it was at the Super Bowl weekend. She says, Hero, you've got to watch this commercial. So here's the commercial, 60 seconds. Brian and Robin McKeever, they're Canadians won 10 Olympic, Paralympic medals. And what's amazing is, Brian was blind. He needed his brother. And when I watched that, that commercial, I thought, man, what an amazing story, an accomplishment to be able to do what they did. But I thought automatically, automatically, I started thinking about this definition of patience, about how patient his brother, well, how patient Brian had to be to be able to go forth, but how patient Robin had to be to try to work with his brother to go navigate through trees, to be able to be these cross-country skiers, and how he completely depended upon his brother to be able to navigate all that. So there was this part about patience that we have this traditional thing about being you know, long on anger and being patient with another person, but there's also this definition about being long on passion, long on suffering, long on pain. And to me, when I watched that commercial, I thought, man, that's a great perspective on life and being patient with another human being. But it's also a great definition about love, unconditional, about kindness and finding joy in life. I don't know about you all, but there are times in my life that, you know, maybe you all can relate to this about being impatient. Who's anybody impatient in here besides me? You know what the definition, the opposite of patience, and this is in the Greek also, it comes with a paroxuno, and the word paroxuno, ready for this, is the opposite of patient in the Greek. It literally means to come alongside with a sharp edge. In other words, when you're going through life and you have this perspective on life, you know, sometimes we come along with another person and we have this edge to ourselves and that we can be very short rather than being long. And that's what Paul's talking about. There is a difference, the opposite between long on being patient or long to be on anger and not having a short fuse, but ultimately has everything to do with this idea of not having that sharp edge to us. Now listen, I tell you what, I'm being completely transparent and I'm not making this up. One of the most patient people I have ever met in my life is my wife, Donna Henry, who's sitting up here. I will tell you that. You all are applauding because you know she's been married to me for 32 years, right? That's exactly how you know that. That's why you're applauding. And she raised five kids. And so she, now here's the interesting thing. Uh, and the, you know, I've been married to Donna for 32 years and I never heard Donna raise her voice, ever. She's never, ever yelled at our kids. Now, there have been times in which I have yelled at our children, but she's never. And so usually how it worked in our house when our kids were going up, she would, you know, something, they would do something stupid or something, and she would just look at them and say, you know, I'm so disappointed in you. And then they would melt right there. Now, I would go, what are you all thinking? And so often, I mean, like, for example, the, you know, a few years ago, um, Luke was there and I'm uh, driving in our driveway and um, Donna comes in and Donna says, Harold, I need for you to have an anxious presence right now. I said, what's the problem? And she says, well, Luke, just hit your car and the bumper's laying out. And she says, but just go on. It's only a bumper, she says. And I'm thinking, Luke, what were you thinking? And of course, Donna's like, you know, it's really not that big of a deal, Harold. We can get another bumper. So this is how she's wired, which I'm wired the opposite, right? Like, for example, one day, Jordan, true story, Jordan was in high school. I think it was about ninth grade. 
I get a phone call from the guidance counselor. I'm thinking, this isn't good. And so we go, and I sit down in the guidance counselor office, and so Jordan's looking across from me, and I'm thinking, what did you do? And then so evidently, he was being a little, he's in ninth grade. He's, got, he's like, when you know when you're like 14 or 15, do you know you, you know everything? I mean, you know everything when you're in ninth grade, right? And so what's interesting is, so Jordan's being a little short with his art teacher, and so the art teacher finally got tired of it and says, we're gonna go have a consultation. So they call in Mr. Hendra, and I sit down, and they tell me exactly what's going on, and look at him and thinking, we, when you get home, we're gonna have a come to Jesus. And we did, and I reassured the principal, the vice principal, and the guy who said, I can guarantee you, we will never be in this office ever again. That was it. And guess what? We were never in that office ever again. That was it. Now, what's interesting is, guess what Jordan is now? He's a school teacher. <laughs> what goes around, comes around, baby. He like told me the other day, he came home last weekend, and he says, Dad, you know what's interesting about, you know, he teaches sixth graders now. And by the way, sixth graders think they know everything also. And so he says, Dad, you know what, they're they sixth graders, they fight a lot. And I said, what is the problem? He says, I don't know what their problem is. He says, they're always like, there was like three fights this last week, which reminds me about a short fuse. He says, they're always, they all got a short fuse. They're always arguing about something and something like that. But it's just interesting how life comes around full circle about patience. And so I would say about this this last week, this, this idea about patience and how, how often our lives that we can, too can have a short fuse. And yet Paul is referring to this, this idea that the idea of long suffering or long and passion, but the also do have like a short fuse, actually should have a long fuse. And, and I, I, you know, I don't know about you all, but one of my shortest views is when it comes to driving, okay? And so Wednesday night, Thursday, Thursday night, we were going over to, to Lakeland, Florida, just down the road. Of course, you have to, when you go to Lakeland, you gotta go the back way. There's a, this long highway. It's about 20 miles stretch from Webster to get all the way to, um, uh, to the highway back to, and it leads into Lakeland. So there's 20 miles of two-lane traffic. And this is like at 5.30. So what happened was, there was a lot of traffic at 5.30, so we get behind a semi. And so when we get behind the semi, you can, he's only gonna go like 55 miles an hour. And so there were all these cars backed up behind the semi. So I'm going along, and so I don't know, maybe there's one or two car lengths between me and the person in front of me. And then all of a sudden, this guy comes flying behind me. You know the guy, right? And he has to cut in and fill those two slots. I'm thinking, really? I mean, what is it really gonna make any difference? Cause you're not gonna go anywhere. By the fact, by the time we got to Lakeland, guess what? I passed him, <laughs> right? I mean, he was he thinking, you know, he had to be so impatient. I thought this was really interesting. Interesting twist about patience in life. Do you realize there are, I think it was 28 um, there are 11,000 accidents every year, I think this is right, that are due to drunk driving, 11,000. 28,000 accidents in America every year based on speeding. Now, there, you know, what does that tell you? It tells you that over and over again, people are, fo where the idea, one of the, the, the accidents, the primarily main accidents, the main accidents, the rule of thumb, the accidents in America, it's not so much about drunk driving, it's about people being impatient in life. Because they gotta get one car leak the head 
and thinking, you know what, it's gonna get me there that much quicker. Uh, here's another thought. I looked this up this last week, or this afternoon. Because my, one of my things that I have in life, I really don't like sitting at traffic lights. And so what happened was, I went and looked this up this week, and I found out that between the ages, if you started driving at 15, and let's just go 50 years, 65. You ready for this? We're gonna spend 2,930 hours sitting at traffic lights. That's 122 days, but who's counting? Or four months at tapping our steering wheel. No wonder I'm so impatient, right? I didn't realize that. Can you imagine you're gonna spend over a 50 year period, you're gonna four months sitting at a traffic light. And then I started thinking, what if we t- did something that was so bizarre, like we, what if we spent time rather kind of cultivating and spending that time in a more productive way rather than being impatient and sitting there, okay, what, am I, what if I took that time and actually did something like, well, just prayed. Okay, Lord, let me just think about, okay, who can I pray for right now as I'm sitting here and not just wasting my time and being impatient and being frustrated? Now, there's a thought, isn't it? So Paul talks about the idea of patience. The other thing I think about this is, um, um, once again, I'm going to tell this quick little story. Donna shared this actually in her her story, um, this story several years ago in one of her, I think it was a Mother's Day message. I think it's a great story. She says she was over at... um, Publix one day, and she was in the line, and she saw this other lady who had two little children, two boys, and they were being really rambunctious. I mean, they were just kind of, I guess they were just kind of hitting each other and teasing each other, and they were not being very orderly. And so the mother was having one of those motherly moments, and she just literally was having a meltdown in Publix because her boys were being so unruly and distraught. And my wife goes over, to a complete stranger. And she goes and hugs her. And she whispers in her ear. She says, you know, I had five children. I had four little boys who were just like your two. And she says, someday, they're all gonna grow up. They're gonna turn out to be fine young men, very handsome. And someday, guess what? They will smell good. (laughs) And it was the greatest thing that she could have said to this mother in that moment patience. So here's the last couple words is the word kindness. Now what's interesting about the word kindness has everything to do with, well, once again, about the idea of the Greek word means to be useful or beneficial. And I, I love this because what it really is saying to us is trying to put ourselves in someone else's shoes to be the idea of, of being empathetic to somebody else. So when Paul's talking about being kind to another person, he's saying, hey, listen, what can I do to be beneficial to another human being and to help another be, other person? And, and so let me just put my thinking cap on and let me think about what would it be like if I'm in that person's shoes or I'm, I'm having to walk in their shoes in some perspective. And so what's very interesting when you think about the word kindness, there's a lot of kindness in the world, no doubt. But you know when I was writing my, preparing this sermon this week, that what immediately started coming to mind was the opposite of kindness when it came to cyberbullying. Let me tell you something. Your children and your grandchildren, chances are they've experienced that. 
which is the opposite of kindness. I, I thought this is an amazing statistic, and this came out several years ago. 42% of all the kids that responded to this have felt as if they'd been bullied at some point by cyberbullying. 35% have felt threatened, and 60% of them said that other people have said mean things about them online. 60%. And I'm thinking, this is the exact opposite of really what Paul is talking about, about being kind and gracious and caring for other people. Matter of fact, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13. says, love is patient, which means long on anger. Love is kind. And the idea of being kind to another person. They actually um, did a research on this, and I thought this was very powerful when it came to marriages. Do you realize that in America, when you want to run the statistics, they found that about 30% of marriages that go the distance end up actually are healthy and whole and happy marriages, 30%. And, and they said the difference between the ones who are really happy when they run the whole distance their whole life and those who are not happy come down, they, and they, the psychotherapist described them as disasters or masters. And the disasters are referred to, and it comes down to one key word, you ready? Contempt. In other words, the ones who are disasters, who, who, uh, who are unhealthy in their marriages are the people who someone is not lifting the other person, the other spouse up, but they're putting them down. They're making them, they're, they're, they're putting them down in some kind of form or fashion. But he says the masters are the ones who are constantly lifting the other spouses up. And they feel as if that they're loved and they're appreciated and there's a sense of kindness along emotional. The key thing is being kind to another people, emotionally stable, and the most important predicator was about satisfaction and stability in any marriage had to do with ultimately being kind and emotionally stable for another human being in your relationship in a marriage. The difference between a disaster and a master comes down to actually contempt or showing kindness. And what does Paul talk about? Love is patient. Love is kind. I, I thought this was really interesting, is that um, when they ran these statistics and they started not only referring to when people have children, they found that children that were raised by um, their parents, the parents who taught them the idea of empathy and being kindness were the ones who eventually in life, these kids, even from preschool, they could see there was a sense of kindness and compassion when they, they were looking at these kids. And they even interviewed the, when they, the kids got older and they went back to the preschool teachers and asked them about this particular individuals, how they reacted. They found that the ones who were most successful in life were the ones who were taught at an early age about being kind and being empathetic towards other human beings. Now, I thought this was really interesting. When they interviewed parents and they talked about kids and they talked about the ultimately, they said that 90% of all American parents said it was a priority to raise caring kids. 90% said this is an important thing. We need to, we need to treat our kids and, and we want our kids to be caring. What's, what, what's interesting, when they interviewed the kids, they said that 81% valued achievement over caring for others. So they said that they thought they wanted their kids to be caring, but they said when the kids actually interviewed, they said, listen, 84, 81% said it's more important to do really good on the SAT than rather than being caring down that person in order to be successful in life. Love is patient. Love is kind. And then the last thing is about goodness. 
And, and so I, I love this because once again, you go back to the Greek and, and the word there has everything. The Greek word for goodness, matter of fact, it's interchanged. It could be either word goodness or generosity. It depends on how it's being used, but ultimately the word, same word in the Greek can be used, transformed either way, goodness or generosity. That's why when you read the fruit of the spirit, sometimes you see the word generosity and not see goodness. But what's interesting is that it's a broad term that could mean good, like a good meal, I mean, you have a good day or a good time, but ultimately it has everything to do with this deeper satisfaction, which goes back to the fruit illustration about really what's going on in your heart and what's your soul. And Paul describes this, I love this, and one of my favorite pieces of scripture in the whole Bible is when Paul talks in the book of Romans, the seventh chapter, he says, you know, I desire to do the good inside of me, but I can't do it. I don't do the good that I want to do, but I do the evil that I don't want to do. There's this constant struggle. And Paul's talking about goodness. He says, you know, I want to do good, but then I don't want it. I don't end up doing the good that I really want I'm supposed to do in the first place. And Paul says, listen, love is patient and love is kind. But he also says love is really ultimate. And we think the idea of the fruit of the Spirit has everything to do with being good. And Wesley talked about this. I, Wesley t- described this, and we call these the three ordinances or the three generals. Do no harm and avoid evil. Do good and stay in love with God. Wesley goes on and says, do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can and all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you can. John Wesley. Good. Paul wants us to do good. You know why? Because Jesus is all about good. He was about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Goodness. So I thought about this this last week. Goodness. Charles Stewart just gave up and gave a testimony, but let me just share a couple of quick illustrations about goodness from our church. Um, this became, uh, came in the mail about a month or so ago. Um, it says, Dear Reverend Hender, and I'm deeply grateful for the gift of $10,000 sent to the Samaritan's Purse for New Covenant United Methodist Church of Operation Christmas Ch- Child. Your generous support means so much, and we count on your prayers for this ministry. We thank God for every person who packs a shoebox and for all the volunteers who are a part of preparing them to be shipped around the world. Each gift-filled box is an opportunity to share God's love and the goodness of Jesus Christ with a child and his or her family. Please pray for with us that many will accept God's greatest gift, his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us the gift of God is the eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans. May God richly continue to bless you in your church, Franklin Graham. That's actually, that's a real signature. Franklin Graham wrote you all a personal note thanking you for your goodness. Then I got another note this week. This came from the United Methodist Children's Home. Matter of fact, they sent us a plaque recognition appreciation for the top 20 givers of the United Methodist Churches in the Florida Conference. Thank you so much for a total of giving almost $60,000. $60,000 you all gave to United Methodist Children's Home. They wrote me another beautiful group uh, letter. They said, Dear uh, Pastor Harold and the wonderful friends in New Covenant, we are so appreciative of your generous support each year where we are once again, you all are once again the top 20 givers in the United Methodist Church. Thank you for all your due, not only through the financial support, but also through in kind and volunteer support as well. Your generous support enables us to care for 400 children and families each week through all your services. Goodness, kindness, what's going on in the heart, in the heart of our church. I'll close with this. 
the service, I told you the service is going to come full circle because I talked about in the past you were full of darkness, but now you are full of light in the Lord. So live like children who belong to the light. The light produces every kind of goodness, right, living, and truth. Paul, uh, that's Jesus. And then Jesus goes on and says in Matthew 5, 16, says, people don't hide a lamp under a bowl. They put it, in a, they put it on a lampstand. Then the light shines for everyone in the house to see. In the same way, you should be a light for other people. Live so that they may see the good things you do and praise your father in heaven. So my daughter, Olivia, calls me up this week. She says, Dad, I need a little kind of backup. I had this, I had this conversation with your granddaughter. She was sitting in the back seat. And I said, well, how'd that conversation go? She says, well, you know, I was singing this song. The song came on the radio when it reminded me of Savannah. And Savannah is her little dog, a little chihuahua. She died about four, about four and a half years ago. She, Olivia loved this dog. She raised her from junior high through high school and took her to college with her. And then she died just before Marley was born. Matter of fact, here's a picture of Olivia and her little dog, um, Savannah. Matter of fact, they both have little yellow uh, flowers in their hair. And um, so... She just loved this song. So the song came on and it reminded her of Savannah. And so then um, Olivia said something to Marley and said, you know, um, I know you never met Savannah, but she's seen pictures and she had talked uh, of Marley about Savannah. And then Mar Olivia said to her, you know, Marley, Savannah is in heaven. And then Marley says, so like up in the clouds? And then her mother said, yes, like up in the clouds. And then Marley said to her mother, mom, is there a lighthouse in heaven? And then Olivia said, well, I don't know. Let me call Paul and find that out. So she calls me up and she says, Dad, I've looked up the definition of lighthouse and the key about the imagery of lighthouse has everything to do with two words, you ready? Direction and hope. And then I said, okay, Olivia, this is what you tell my little four-year-old granddaughter about the lighthouse. First of all, you tell her that there is no need for a son because the countenance of Jesus Christ is so powerful that there, his light illuminates all the heavens. Tell her that. And I said, that's in the Bible. The second thing you tell her is, ultimately, Jesus Christ is the lighthouse. And so my hope for all of us, as we continue to study the fruit of the Spirit, it just fills our hearts from the death of our souls that we live into these about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and we'll study next three next week and let your light continue to shine be a lighthouse for jesus christ amen